Let us pray. Our hope and expectation, O Jesus, now appear. Arise, desire of nations, o'er this benighted sphere. With heart and hands uplifted, we plead, O Lord, to see the day of earth's redemption that brings us unto thee. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. The day is coming. It is burning like an oven. This imagery serves as a warning to those who live for themselves with no fear of God. But it serves primarily as an image of God's eagerness to save you. As much as it is an image of God's judgment against evil, it is also all the more the image of pent-up desire to do good. We pray, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. This burning oven depicts God's haste. He makes haste to rescue his congregation of saints on earth. He makes haste to save us now through his word. He comes to us in the means of grace, but he will come again in glory. His ultimate deliverance is for now delayed only by the fact that he has appointed a definite time in the near future to finally do so. And that day is coming. It is burning like an oven. In the meantime, we pray, O kindle, Lord, most holy, thy lamp within my breast, to do in spirit lowly all that may please thee best. If we pray for him to kindle his lamp within our breast, so that we may know and do what he desires. Consider how hotly and brightly kindled that lamp is within his breast to do what he has long desired and long since promised he would do. It is more like an oven than a lamp. The day is coming. God, God fervently desires to save us. He desires to rescue us from this little while of tribulation and sorrow of temptation, guilt, shame, grief, chronic pain, disease, death. He desires to welcome, welcome us into a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells and where that righteousness dwells unhindered within our own hearts. And to give us eternal life, which he purchased by the blood he shed to redeem us. He hears all our prayers. On that day, we will see how they have all been answered. He, in a matter, manner of speaking, can't wait to do it. But he does wait. And he waits for our sake. And so we, we, we must wait as well. This time of year, we get kind of tired, maybe, of the emphasis on the final judgment. I know pastors tend to, especially when you do the last three Sundays of the church year and it's just end of the world, end of the world, end of the world, Advent, end of the world. Well, I suppose it gets a little dark because our hearts are so focused on the cares of this life. We don't like to hear about how these cares and pleasures are all going to be taken from us. Well, we do better to welcome this theme of final judgment, however. Because for those of us who trust in Christ, it won't be a day where everything you love is taken away. It'll be a day 
on which we lift up our heads in eager expectation and joy because we see what we have loved the most will come to rescue us and fill our hearts not only with the joy that we long for and that we don't really hold on to like we should because of our sin, because of our desires over here and over there, but also he will give us the ability to hold on to that joy. He will perfect our desire to be in Christ. So if that desire isn't strong enough now, it will be perfected. It'll be increased. That's who's coming, Jesus. And his day of salvation draws near. The day is coming. It is burning like an oven. Remember, this burning like an oven is a lamp within the breast of God, burning and reflecting how much he desires to save you. The fact that all the proud and those who do wickedly will be burnt up like stubble is almost incidental. God doesn't fervently long to destroy the wicked. He swears by himself that he takes no delight in their death, but desires that they turn and live. So in that sense, he doesn't long to do it. He commands us to pray, thy kingdom come, because he desires to bring his kingdom to them and save them. And that's why he answers his church's cry, Hosanna in the highest, save us now. What God fervently longs for is to save you. This is the main purpose of that day of judgment. It is to save you, and it is to save everyone who hears the gospel today. What shall he save you from? Now that is the question. He'll save you from all that is contrary to your salvation, all that hurts you, all that tempts you, all that requires your devotion and loyalty, everything that offends pious hearts. In order to rescue you from your sin, Jesus bore God's wrath against it. He had to remove it from you as far as the east is from the west, a distance that defies mathematical calculation. And so also to save you from this world and from the devil, from all the idols your hearts have crafted and that stand around you begging to be worshipped, enticing you away from your true God to save you from these. God will remove this world and all that is in it, along with its prince, the devil, and all who have obeyed him. They will burn, and you shall stand. God's salvation consists of God utterly destroying everything that stands to hurt you, betray you, or entice you away. So that you, divest of all your sin and divest of all worldly distraction, all worldly relationships and loyalties, you might stand. In order to save you from your sins, God tells you what your sins are. Those who love their sins aren't separated from them. They must answer for them in order for them to do that, they must learn what they are. In order to save you from the judgment of the world, God teaches you why the world is judged. Those who love the world will be condemned with it. Those who love Jesus are separated from it. Just as God saving you from the guilt of sin required judgment, judgment which Christ bore for you, so also God saving you from the sinful world requires judgment. Judgment which Christ will render on all the wicked of the world. His coming to be judged in your place, that is his first advent, is your redemption. 
His coming to judge is also your redemption. The day is coming, and so we cling all the more to his continual coming through the ages, through his holy word and sacrament, through the promises that he makes to us right now. As a reflection of his first advent in humility, he continues to come to us through the easily despised means of grace, which people aren't intimidated by, but are, are able to mock and not feel threatened if they, if they mock it, because what's going to happen, huh? The only power the church has is the power of the word, and words don't break bones. But when Christ comes again in glory, all that humility will be gone. There will be no humility. There will be no appearance of weakness. Every knee will bow. And like being consumed by fire, no one will be able to deny it or resist it. That day is coming. And the same Jesus who comes to you lowly is the Jesus who comes in glory. When your sins are forgiven in holy baptism, you stand holy and righteous before God. That is what you need. That's what you need on that day, the day that is coming. When you are absolved of your sins, according to Jesus' command to forgive you your sins, the sins of the penitent, you are brought back to your baptism. You stand before God righteous and holy and without a blemish. When you are told to depart in peace after eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus, whereby he made satisfaction for all your sins, well, that means that you truly are departing with something that God has given you. Peace. His good favor. The promise that he is not at war with you. And that whatever war you feel in your body, overcome and forgiven and your fight against it is strengthened by the body of God's own Son that works in you and it strengthens you not by making you strangely and inexplicably stronger and holier but it strengthens you precisely in this by teaching you to rely on the mercy of God and teaching you to love where you find it. The body and blood of Jesus gives you peace with God because it bore your sins. Jesus bore your sins. By faith in Jesus, your sins are covered and you stand holy and righteous before God. The God whose coming is burning like an oven with holy heat, this God is reconciled to you through the blood of Jesus. There is nothing more important to know. You stand now by faith because he comes to you in mercy. So you shall stand soon in joy when he comes to you in glory. This is the Christian life. This is the goal of every spiritual desire he implants in your heart. It is to stand righteous and holy before God. It is to have full assurance that God does not condemn you and that he will not recall you any sin or secret of which you are ashamed. For even if you have not satisfied some standard of your own with proper tears and groanings and sighs of repentance, even if there is something in you that you fear to see uncovered and to be seen by other men, or angels, not to mention the holy, holy, holy God. If there is anything that you fear you have not made up for somehow with a deep enough regret or with good enough intentions, 
or with a long enough record of recovery. Yet you do not trust in what you can satisfy. Satisfy. You trust in what Jesus has satisfied. Or rather, you trust in who Jesus has satisfied. Jesus has satisfied God with his holy and perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross. It cannot be said enough. What you cling to when God comes to you in mercy is the forgiveness of your sins. What you cling to when God comes in humility is the forgiveness of your sins. So what else would you cling to when he comes to the whole world in glory? You cling to the forgiveness of your sins. So thoroughly has Jesus satisfied his Father's wrath against sin that the Father has committed old judgment to none other than Jesus. The one who comes to judge is the one who bore your sin with full knowledge of what they deserved and, and who committed them, of how easily they could have been avoided and how often they were committed anyway. He knew. He knew and he bore them willingly. He won't be surprised on the day of judgment. He knows what he suffered for. He who did so out of pure love for you is the one who judges. No one else judges. He makes haste for that day. Not to catch you, but to rescue you. As he once looked forward to the day when he purchased your salvation on the cross and said there is a baptism which I must undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. And so now he looks forward to the day when all he won will be made fully and finally and forever yours when your baptism is fulfilled. When all the works, all that works against you will be burnt up and forgotten forever. That first day was sorrow for him and salvation for us. This last day will be pure joy in God and man and all the angels. The trembling sorrow of the damned will not move or disturb God's saints. This is peace. It is to rest not in what your heart has done or fulfilled, but in what Jesus has done. Without Jesus, there is no peace. There is only doubt. To have peace is to know that God is reconciled to you and that your salvation, no less than the salvation of the whole world, is purchased and prepared at no cost to you at all. This certainty, this hope, is the lamp that Jesus kindles in you. He kindles it by speaking peace, by forgiving you. And we trim our wicks and keep oil in store for this burning lamp of faith by gladly hearing the gospel. We count all our treasures as what they truly are, whether this treasure be great wealth, health, or even an earthly relationship. We view them as that which will not last forever. And so we use them to support and promote what will last forever. All the world's works and workers will soon burn up and be forgotten. You will stand, because your worthiness is sure. So Jesus tells you to take heed to yourselves that you may be worthy. He tells you to take heed to yourselves that you might find, may find your worthiness in him. He tells us not to weigh our hearts with carousing, drunkenness, and earthly cares. St. Paul calls these works of darkness. He tells us to cast them off and put on the armor of light, which is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. All who have been baptized have put on Christ. So this is an admonishment to believe, not to become what you aren't, 
but to live as what you truly are, a redeemed child of God, washed and cleansed and claimed in the waters of baptism that have joined you to Christ forever. Jesus came to save. It was at no cost to you. It was at a dear cost to him. The eternal God came once in blessing. He came humbly in the form of a servant. He loved in perfect consistency with his nature as God to love, but he did so as our brother, our substitute, as a man like us, subject to the law that condemned us. And so he obeyed what God commanded as our substitute, and he also suffered what God threatened as our substitute. Pure love and only love compelled him. Love caused his incarnation. Love brought him down to me. Love burned in his bosom toward loveless sinners and sustained him as he willingly gave himself into unimaginable judgment, abandonment, and torture for our sake. And it is love alone that continues to bring him to us now in this word of reconciliation that pleads with you be reconciled to God. That is, believe it. Care about it. Stake your life on it. Trust his word as truth when he forgives you and tells you not to fear his judgment. Trust his word when he says that the reason he comes to judge is because he loves you. Believe it. Believe that you stand righteous before God right now on account of what Jesus here gives you. He saves you from your sins, which lie forever forgotten and at the bottom of the sea. And so believe that you will stand righteous before God when Jesus comes again to save you from the world which he will destroy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have warned us that earth will pass away. So ground our hearts with firmness to stand in that great day, baptized into our Savior, redeemed from worldly charm. Your death has gained God's favor. Your word keeps us unharmed. May we in faith inherit the scripture's gift fulfilled. By your own blood and merit on this foundation build, that while the heavens are shaking and earth is in distress, give hope to us now aching, O Son of Righteousness. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life.